brand new series. It's called Love Like Jesus. And uh, to me, I think it's really, really important that we do this. So in this, this series, we're going to explore how Jesus loved God, loved people, and served the world. And uh, as a result of that love. So why look at this? That's a great question. Because around here, we say this all the time. We say, love God, love people, serve the world. It's our slogan. If you've never heard it before, it's probably because you're a first-time guest. If you've been here more than once, you've seen it, you've heard it. It's on our signs. It's on our connection cards. It's on our websites. It's on the t-shirts that we gave you. It's everywhere. And it's that way because we want it to be known. We want you to be, I guess, in the club, okay? You know, everybody, anybody have a friend when you were a kid who had a cardboard clubhouse, right? And in order to get into the cardboard clubhouse, you had to knock and there was a secret handshake, or there was a phrase or a passcode around here, that's love God, love people, serve the world, okay? And we believe it's just that simple. So I think it's important, since we say that so much, it's not just a catchphrase for us, that we really understand what does that mean, because there are implications of that, right? And you say that, and then if you don't live that, it's kind of, well, it doesn't match up. So we're going to talk about how to live that, and I think it's really, really important that we look at Jesus because we're disciples of Christ. We become Christians and we become disciples, and so it's important that we look at what Jesus did and how he lived when we say love God, love people, serve the world, right? Because as disciples, we always ask two questions. It's important you know this, okay? If you want to write them down, that's fine, but just know I say this all the time. We ask, what is Jesus saying? And then we say, what are we going to do about it? Because to be a disciple requires you to act on that thing that Jesus is saying. It's not just come to church. It's not just hear a word. It's not just sing a song. It's like, all right, I hear that. Now, how am I going to process that and allow it to change me? And it's only when you live that way that you become a disciple of Christ. And that's definitely what we want here at Simple Church. So God's word is alive, right? We actually want to take that word, allow it to, to challenge our thoughts, our actions, to convict us and lead us to repentance when we need to, and to encourage us and to build us up as Christians. God's word is the, is the greatest weapon, tool, and friend that we have on this earth. And all of it, every single part of it, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation, points to Jesus. And so we are going to look at what Jesus did. And that's why we're going to see how he loved God, loved people, served the world. I'm probably going to say that a hundred times this message. Okay, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to hear it. You're going to be sick of it. You may want to punch me in the throat by the end of this service. If you say that again, Aaron, I'm punching in the throat. And it's not because I assume you're all violent. I just think that's a really, really funny scenario to say. All right, so this week, instead of just grabbing the whole phrase, we're going to do three weeks on this, and this week we're going to focus on love God, okay? And... Uh, uh, I, the very first thing we have to do is cover what love is, because uh, the English language is kind of faulty, right? There, there's some weaknesses in the English language, and for the, the first thing you need to understand is that the Bible was written in two languages, Greek and Hebrew. Old Testament is Hebrew, because that's the native language of the Jews, and the New Testament is in Greek, because that was the native language of the culture. The Roman Empire had pretty much taken over all of the area, and everybody spoke Greek. So in order to make your message plain, make sure everybody understood it, could read it, they wrote it in Greek. And in the Greek, the Greek is a very rich and robust language, and so is Hebrew, and many other languages are. English, not so much, right? Uh, like, 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 let me show you an example, okay? Here we go. These are groaners. You're going to hate these. All right. 
Here's weakness, the weakness in the English language because one word can mean several different things. Here we go. Every calendar's days are numbered. No laugh. Okay, cool. A boiled egg in the morning is hard to beat. He had a photographic memory that was never developed. The short fortune teller who escapes from prison was a small medium at large. Do you see the confusion? Those who get too big for their britches will be exposed in the end. Hmm. Santa's helpers are subordinate clauses. And last but not least, I'm going to keep telling them until you like it. That's what I'm going to do. The butcher backed up into the meat grinder and got a little behind in his work. Now, now, does that mean that he backed up into it and he broke his meat grinder and so he got a little behind? It means he was late in his delivery of the said meat. Or was said meat his behind? We don't know because the English language is faulty. The English language is faulty, right? So we see we use these, these words and it can be a, a little ambiguous for us. And it's like, all right, what did I just hear? We have this all the time. How many times do you fight with somebody over the meaning of a word? Well, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. Well, anyway, I don't even want to go there. That's a whole different thing. <clears throat> Those are just silly examples. Though, but the Greek is a very rich language. And when we look at the word love, there are actually three different translations that we see in the Greek language in the Bible. Okay, And they all mean different things. So like, if I were to say to you, um, I love bacon, that's a given. I know you can look at a guy like me. That guy probably loves bacon. And it actually says it on my lanyard here. So it's, you know, it's a given. But I don't love bacon the same way that I love my children. Bacon's a little higher. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. I do. I love you. My son's over here in the front. Um, <laughs> oh, sometimes I just make me laugh. These jokes are for me. <clears throat> but I love my children a little different than I love bacon. And then, of course, I love my wife a little different than I love my children. Right? And then I love God way different than I love, or I'm supposed to, love God way different. Not I'm supposed to. Let me, let me take that back. I love God sometimes different than I love my family and my children and bacon, for that matter. So let's look at the three different types of love that are in there. We say love, 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 and we all think a different thing when we hear the word love. But there are different meanings of love when you read the Bible. And so the translation of these words, we just grab it in English and say, well, that's love. Oh, that's love. That's love. So the very first one is uh, phileo. Now, this is not the love of a phileo fish. This is brotherly love. It is mental love. It means affectionate regard. You guys got to catch up this morning. I'm telling all kinds of jokes up here. It means affectionate regard or friendship in both ancient and modern Greek. Greek. Not Greek at all. This type of love has give and take. It includes loyalty to friends, family, and community. Okay? It requires virtue, equality, and familiarity. And, uh, and so this is like a brotherly love kind of thing. It's a, it's a love that you would have for a brother, love that you would have for a friend. That's phileo, okay? Or philia. It depends on the, the gender version of it, but that's the word. But it's not the same way I would say I love my wife. I love my wife with the Greek word of eros, right? And this is a physical, passionate love with sensual desire and longing. It's romantic, pure emotion without the balance of logic, it's like love at first sight. There's no logic to that at all, right? It's, it's emotion. It's attraction. It's different than the phileo love, okay? And so these first two kinds of love, I think, are different than the last kind. And in order to demonstrate 
what I think of these first two ones. See, these first two ones, um, well, I think I should show the, the illustration first. Can we hit the lights out there? You got the lights for me? Bring the lights down. I'm, this video I'm going to play, I think, is the most profound way of demonstrating how I feel about Eros and Phileo. Go ahead and play that. It's from Finding Nemo. And so I realize I've just ruined the rest of the sermon. All you want to do is watch Finding Nemo now, right? <laughs> so basically, oh, you can turn the lights back up, JJ, thank you. Basically, I feel like the Phileo love and the Eros love is something, although I do look cool lit up like this, don't I? It's kind of fun. Those two kinds of love are great. We can hang with that kind of love. We pursue it. We get drunk on it just like they did. I'm going to get you. This is making me happy. This is great. But the second something went wrong, it was like, good feeling, gone. I'm out. And everybody ran. Those kind of love, the phileo love and the eros love, are breakable. You can separate yourself from those things. You can disown a family member. You can stop being friends with somebody. You can break up with a relationship, right? Those kind of loves are breakable. They're conditional. Conditional. They say, I'll do for you if you do for me. Don't offend me and I won't offend you. Those are those first two kinds of love. But the last kind of love is an everlasting love. And the word in the Greek is agape love. Okay? And, uh, and, and when Paul wrote about this agape love, this is the kind of love that God has for us. And Paul, Paul's one of the apostles in the Bible. He wrote most of the New Testament. Here's a guy who's talking about agape love or the kind of love that God has for us. And this is what he says about it. He says that I believe that neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's agape love. It's love that you can never, ever be separated from. It's unconditional. Here it is. I love you regardless. Let me read you an awesome definition of it. It says this. It says, it's a, it's a love in a spiritual sense. It means I love you in the ancient Greek, and it often refers to a general affection or deeper sense of true unconditional love rather than the attraction suggested by Eros. This love is selfless. It gives and expects nothing in return. Agape love is what is used and what we're looking at today. So when I talk about love, please don't think about it in the term of I love bacon or I love my brother or my sister or my wife or my friend. When I say love from here on out today, I want you to understand agape, unconditional, selfless. It's the kind of love that we all struggle to have on a regular basis for each other. But it's the love that we're supposed to have, right? So we're going we're to walk through this. Uh, God is Love, And I want to make sure I associate the agape love with God. In 1 John, uh, where is my text? I'm sorry. In 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. This means that God can never, ever, ever be separated from the love. Even in God's discipline and his correction, which we all hate and thinks it's because God hates us and because he wants to obliterate sin and sinful people. That's not necessarily correct. God's love never ever departs period it's unconditional for you and for me there's no end to it there's no there's no way you can get out of it 
and God is love. So this is where we're going to land today, and we're going to look at this kind of love and what it means to love in an unconditional way. And I'm going to get up in your business, and you're going to hate every second of it. And I wish I could say I'm sorry, but I'm not. It's because I love you, agape, that I'll tell you. So there's a popular uh, text that we use in every wedding. Anybody here ever been to a wedding before? Okay, fantastic. Like five of you. That's awesome. <laughs> there's a popular text. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and it talks about love, and I want to look at that because oftentimes I think when we read this, because it's used in weddings and because it's on every love you know, Hallmark card that's out there, we often think of it in the Eros kind of love or the phileo kind of love but it's actually agape love that's the translation when you go to the original text it doesn't say eros it doesn't say phileo it says agape and that's the word that's what the greek meant was this kind of unconditional love so if you need a bible today we would like to give you one we have them here already for you so if you need one please raise your hand just let us know i have hosts that have them in the back and they will bring you one just hang your hand up just like this and we'll get you one if you just need one for today you can also borrow one and then just leave it on your seat but know that this is a gift for you so please take them if you need them we are going to be in first corinthians 13 4 through 8 so if you're with your bibles or have your bibles you can flip there or we can put it up here on the screen which it already is awesome I love when they're ahead of me. All right. Love is patient. I'm going to just say agape love. Agape love is patient and kind. Agape love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Agape love will last forever. So I want you to look at this verse for just a second. And I want you to look at this. This is the kind of love that we are supposed to have for each other. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at it through that lens, and when I look at this verse in particular, can we go back to the first one? First slide up there. Love is patient. I could stop right there and fail all day long. I don't know about you guys. Anybody have kids here? You fail at this on a regular basis, right? Anybody have a spouse? You fail at this. Anybody have a job? You fail at this. Anybody living a life with other people? You fail at this. We fail at this when we order pizza. I'm just saying. We aren't patient. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But we fail at this. But this is the kind of love. Love is patient and kind. I don't know about you, but I'm, I forget that I'm supposed to do these things sometimes. And I'm not always kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. And I look at it. Fail, 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 fail. And that was just this morning. Not always. Sometimes. Love does not demand its own way. Why well, I want things a certain way. You can ask Everybody in this place, when we set it up, does Aaron like things the way he likes things? Yes. All my people are going, yes. Yes, they does. Yes, they do. But love doesn't demand its own way. It prefers the other. Love is not irritable. That means you have to have somebody irritating in your life. And if there's somebody irritating in your life, you have to love them so as to not be irritable. Fail. And this is just me. I'm not even putting that on you. I'm just letting you know, me, fail. It keeps no record of being wronged. Can you imagine what that looks like? To 
keep no record of being wronged? So you get the point. We are not going to be able to do this easily. Jesus, in fact, is the only one who lived a life of love of this caliber. That's why he's our example. And that's why we're looking at him. But the implications of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8 is that love means a person must empty themselves out of self for the sake of others. That's what it means. That's all selflessness. That means I have the right to be irritated because you're irritating. Love's not irritable. I have the right to hold a grudge. I have a right to keep a score. But love doesn't do that. I have the right to end this love that I have for you. Love will last forever. You have to empty of yourself in order to love someone in this way. And once again, we see that Jesus loved that way. Love requires an emptying of yourself in ways that are sacrificial. It will cost you something to love people with agape love. It will cost you your rights, your preferences, your time, your energy, your money, your talents, and don't forget this one, it's important, your pain. It will cost you that, to love others. When we begin to describe this kind of love, you can begin to see Jesus in a new light, right? You can begin to see that his sacrifice was truly love. We say, all right, Jesus died on the cross. He did that for me. And we just talk about that like it's just this thing that just kind of happened. But when you look at it, this was an emptying out of self. It was the ultimate. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. It's an emptying out of self. And Jesus did it for us. Now, Back to why we're here. We're talking about love God. Sorry, we couldn't even get past the beginning of that little sentence, that little thing of love God without looking at love. I needed you to understand that. So where, where do we get that from? Where do we get this command to love God? Why is that important? Glad you asked. Thank you. Stop talking during my sermon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You didn't ask. I'm just playing. All right, Jesus was teaching one day and was approached by some Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, right? And this is what, uh, they were just talking to Jesus, and Jesus had just completely shut them down. <clears throat> and it's in Matthew 22, 36-39, it says, Teacher, and they ask a question, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So this week, we're only going to look at the first part of that. When he said, love your God. And that love used in there, the actual translation, when you look it up in the Greek, guess what it is? It's agape love. Love God with agape love. With an unconditional love. Well, wait, that's the way God loves us. Yes, and that's the way you're supposed to love him back, is in that way. An unconditional love that flows from your heart, your soul, and your mind. Notice that these are the three places are the very center of who you are, right? The arena of the heart contains powerful emotions, affections, and desires. These are the things that steer our life. Consider it like the rudder of your boat, of the boat of your life. This is where you, what your heart is. It is the rudder. It steers everything for you. And to determine where our affections actually lie, you need to look at your life. You need to discern what occupies your time, what motivates your actions, or what shapes your aspirations, and what comprises their reward. Affections wait to be captured. They long 
long to cling to someone or something. And understand that our affections will always follow what we treasure. So what do you treasure? Whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is. Your soul. How do we love God from our soul? We love God from our heart by giving our affections. But loving from the soul has nothing to do with affection. It has to do with devotion. Right? The soul is literally the part of us that defines who we are. The essence of the biblical definition for soul means life, personality, inner self, and our identity. It's where we make our decisions and choices and ultimately decide our lifestyle and behavior. Think of the soul as the core you, okay? And so we love God from the core, from, from our soul. And what it means to do that is it's tied up in the way we live, the choices we make, and the behavior and lifestyle that we adopt. That's your soul. Our lives are the sum of the choices you make And plain and simple, our choices show what we are committed to and they reflect our core values, defining us and displaying our lifestyle before the world. That's your soul. What do we value? If we treasure our relationship with the Lord, our choices will simply mirror that treasure, right? And you have to ask yourself, how do I spend my money? What what do I do with my time? What kind of things do I read? These kind of questions that really examine who you are to understand your soul. Love the Lord with all your soul is also done by pursuing obedience to his word. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And what are we? A bunch of disciples. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So we love the Lord with our heart. And here's with our soul. We love out of obedience to what he tells us to do. This is our devotion. Love has to be demonstrated. We keep his commandments when we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Basically what's written in your Bible. So I want you to think of it this way. I've been happily married for uh, eight years now. And in those eight years, I've had to make decisions that were based on love. Right? Sometimes these things that I had to do were not things I felt like doing. But they were things that flowed out of my commitment and my covenant to love my wife that I made eight years ago. They have nothing to do with how I felt in the moment. Those flow from my devotion. Those flow from my soul. And that's why the second part of the first commandment is vital, is to love with your soul, your heart, your soul. Because sometimes, and most of the times when in the Bible, obedience always comes first, and feelings come second. And then we love God with our minds. The renewed mind plays a major role in loving Jesus and loving God. I don't know about you, and I'm not including you in this. I'm just saying for me, I'm dumb. I forget. When I drive down the road and somebody cuts me off, I forget that I love God immediately. Immediately. I forget. When my children interrupt me, when I'm talking or on the phone or they're being loud, I forget that I love God. Anybody else out there with me? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Thank God. I was going to say, you guys need to teach me if you got that down. But we, when we love God with our minds, we must renew our minds daily. How do you renew your mind? You get into the Word. You read it. You allow it to transform your mind. You remind yourself who you're supposed to be. And that's how you love God, with your mind. 
The language of the mind is all images, right? We're constantly seeing images. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? We're constantly seeing images, always. Our minds never go to sleep. And that's an awesome thing that God has given us. The power of the mind. But to love God with the mind is a blessing. And so we have to ask, though, the Holy Spirit to help change us. As we read the word, help me live this. We love God with our mind in that way. All right. So now we've got a great foundation laid. We understand what love God means. Right? And we said that we're going to examine how Jesus loved God. And I promise you, I'm only going to be like five minutes and we're going to close. Okay? I know it's kind of warm in here today. All of you stay awake. I know I can see everybody kind of struggling. I have no idea why it's so warm in here, but... I've got the air conditioning on, and I don't know why it's warm. So anyway, everything Jesus did was driven by love. And we see lots of expression of how Jesus loved others. But what we're going to look here is how Jesus loved God, because it's our goal to be like Christ. Okay? Jesus loved God faithfully. Jesus was found daily with the Father. Daily. There were times that Jesus was found missing. His disciples were like, hey, Jesus, where have you been? And he's like, I was out back praying. Or he would pull himself away in the evening to go pray. Jesus was faithful to God. And he was faithful to it first. Faithful. First thing. Jesus loved God unashamedly. Jesus went out in the public and declared he was God's son. He was not ashamed of the Father at all. There's a verse where Jesus is talking. He says, if you're ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you. Jesus, knowing that, showed no shame. In fact, the Bible even says that Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. And he picked it up anyways. He knew that it was going to be a shameful thing. And he bore, he had no shame. Unashamed to carry that cross. Unashamed to die for you and me. Unashamed. Jesus loved God fearlessly. In 1 John 4.18, the verse says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus is the only one who loved God perfectly. And that perfect love casts out all fear in his heart. I don't know about you, but if I knew I was walking to my death, If I knew that in a city that I was going to go to, I would die, I would probably not go. I would probably be afraid. But God sent Jesus to do that thing. God sent Jesus to die for us. And he did it with no fear. For you and I, we don't love God as perfectly as we should. So again, there's a check mark in the fail for me. Fear grips me often, and I know it grips you too. Jesus loved God submissively. As demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed. I'm going to say something to you, okay? Are you ready? I want you to hear it. I may even have to say it twice. True submission is only shown in the face of great adversity. There it goes again. True submission is only shown in the face of great adversity. It is easy to say you are submitted to a thing until that thing is in your face. And it is hurtful, it is painful for you to submit. But Jesus shows true submission and he loves God submissively in the garden when he prayed. Father, 
If you can let this cup pass from me, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. If you can let it pass from me, please do. But let your will be done and not mine. He submitted to God's will. Jesus did not want to die. Why? He had friends, he had family, he had brothers and sisters, mom, had all of them. He did not want to, but he loved God submissively. Jesus loved God unconditionally. God said, Jesus, I need you to go to earth and I need you to do this. And by the way, you're going to go through a lot of pain. You're going to be ridiculed publicly. You're always going to be challenged. The guys that you're going to bring with you are going to be idiots. They're not going to, they're not going to be able to understand. And this is just going to be a huge mess. And then, oh, you're going to die as well, like a brutal, harsh death, like, you know, undeservedly at that. And Jesus goes, okay, that's a good plan. I love you and I trust you enough to believe that this is it. And he didn't say, well, all right, listen, we're going to have to lay out a contract. If I do this, then you do this for me. And then I get this. Jesus loved God unconditionally. No conditions. Jesus loved God selflessly. Selflessly, excuse me. Jesus emptied himself out before the Father, accepting his plans instead of what he desired. And in emptying himself out, it shifted something within him. As we read in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, that was on the other side of the cross. When he submitted and poured out, he saw something on the other side that was greater than the pain he was getting ready to endure. It sh- and, he said, and it says that, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we see all of this, and then when we hear the command from Jesus, let's go back to it. Love God. It seems like an impossible thing, doesn't it? It seems like how in the world are we supposed to do that thing? Jesus is the only one who is perfect. And we are all imperfect. We're imperfect beings serving a perfect God. We will fail at this regularly. But this is where the grace of God comes in. He gives us the strength. He's given us His Holy Spirit so that we might be able to live agape love towards Him. To love Him unconditionally. To love Him submissively. To love Him fearlessly. To love Him unashamedly love God and when we don't this is when his mercy comes in and the gospel is displayed in all of its glory in our lives when we miss the mark when we have the opportunity to repent seek forgiveness and restoration and another chance to do it again let's pray every head bowed every eyes closed you know we get to talk about love and love is an awesome thing. But there's some people in this room, I would say, that you've never encountered the love of God before. Today, you may be hearing it for the first time, how God loves you unconditionally. And in a way that says, it doesn't matter what you've done, I love you. And I'm here to tell you, that's it. God loves you. 
And that sin, all sin is, is separation from God. But God sent His Son to bridge that gap, that separation. And because of what Jesus did, we get to be forgiven and enter into relationship with a Father who loves you. So I'm going to tell you today that if you don't know Jesus, if you've never experienced the love of God, you can. If you're here today and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around, would you just slip your hand up and let us know you're here? Let me see you so I know I can pray for you. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. I appreciate it. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to pray for all of us because this is not an easy thing to do. To love God with that agape love, that unconditional love. But it is what we will strive for until the day that Jesus takes us to heaven. And there we will be made perfect. And there our love will be perfect. Agape love. Until then we need strength. We need grace. We need mercy. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it challenges our hearts. But most of all, I thank you for your love that is here in this room, that is toward us, that is for us. I pray for those that raised their hands today, Lord, that said, I want to know your love. Father, I pray that you would fill their lives in such a way that they would feel your love, that they would know they are forgiven and that they can seek forgiveness and ask you to forgive them. That on a daily basis, Jesus, you are there to clean them up and to love them unconditionally. For those of us that are here, God, that are already walking with you, that are struggling with this word, that we'll take it home and we'll think about it and we'll write it in our journals, that we'll pray about it. Lord, help us to love you with agape love. And when we fail, forgive us. Strengthen us. Pick us back up. Brush us off. Like a father does to his children that he loves. Let us know it'll be okay. Let us try again. Strengthen us. In your precious son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you made that commitment for the first time today, we have a booklet that we'd like to give you. JJ will find you after service and he will hand one to you. It's called, Now What? Because when you make a step towards Christ, it is important that you know, now what? Now what do I do? Well, what do I, how do I live this life? And we have a gift for you. We'd like to do that. If you need prayer for anything, we're going to give like one or two minutes. We have people in the back of the room. They have badges on that look just like this. We'd like to give you a moment to get up and you can go find one of them and they'll pray with you over any need that you have in your life at all. Then we'll come back and we'll close the service.